Welcome to G.I. Joburg episode 88. That's right, folks. 88. We're going to be speaking 1988, the G.I. Joe New World Order, or should I say Destro's New World Order. And here with me to discuss the resistance, I have... Skidmark Steve. And... Steel Brigade Cujo. And taking the lead on the Cabal tonight, you have Paul. Just Paul. <laughs> We're going to be talking 1988. Uh, why is it such a weird year for G.I. Joe? By the very same token, did you even realize that it was a weird year, listeners? Because... It kind of crept up on us when we were figuring out which episode to do today. And uh, i got to say, there's some weirdos in this lineup, but there's also some cool guys in this lineup, but very few well-known characters. So G.I. Joe without a cartoon to back it up, and the whole face of G.I. Joe has changed. What's happening? Straight out the gates, in overview, I'd say 1988, I mean, apart from the obvious reason for it being anomalous, and that's... It didn't have the cartoon to support it, so all of the characters were almost blank slates. It's as if the writing on the file cards and their backstories were stepped up a notch to accommodate that. And there were interesting things within the toy lineup itself which suggested new avenues. That, in addition to the fact that it was the first time you had the Steel Brigaders making an appearance. And also... For me, or for South Africans in general, 1988 was like year one of G.I. Joe. Thanks to the way things were distributed in these parts, like our earliest memories of G.I. Joe proper, like clogging up toy aisles, was this series of toys. So these guys were the guys that we connected with immediately, before we made discoveries about who the real main players of G.I. Joe were, so these are the unsung heroes. Class of 1988 are shows that I have formed an immeasurable uh, personal bond with, but one that like, isn't suggested to me by G.I. Joe-associated media. So it's been an interesting rediscovery. And in order to uh, talk about this year effectively, I am sitting on the floor of my room <laughs> with... All of my 1988 G.I. Joe toys encircling me. This is something that I should have done in previous episodes, but because we are doing a specific year focus, it's more practical to be able to do that. Fortunately, 1988's toy line does fit into a room. It's not like I had to build the flag or uh, try and maneuver the Defiant into a more um, uh, easily reachable (laughs) uh, configuration. No, this is this year's toys. You can set up quite a quite a cool play pattern with these toys alone. But that's enough yammering from me, Kujo. What do you have to add on the topic of 1988? Just just an overview, man. We'll get into the specifics later. But uh, what is your impression of this year's toys? Well, thank you, Yojo. I just pulled up kind of the whole year 1988 figures. I mean, they're they're varied. I definitely have words to say about them, but I'll wait till we're uh, chatting them up in a bit. Uh, I I can throw in some personal stuff real quick if we're on to new stuff. Uh, Well, before we get there, all I'm going to say about 88, uh, just as an overview, is Budo. (laughs) Budo, right? I mean, I just remember seeing him in friends' bedrooms. Like, I would go over to visit a friend's house or... 
you know, we'd go over, you know, like we were kids. We'd go over to our friend's house with a whole bunch of other friends and we'd go and like, you know, like a party or something. And then mom would bring out the toys or, and then we'd like play with toys and, and all that kind of crap. And uh, who should be there? Budo with his backpack, no helmet, no swords, no nothing. And like every kid had Budo for some reason. I don't know if, if this was the same for, for Cape Town, but Budo, <laughs> okay? Uh, everyone here had Lightfoot. Which is quizzical. Oh, yeah, that him too. And uh, yeah, I've I got to echo Steve's sentiments. 88 is definitely year one for G.I. Joe in South Africa, at least as far as G.I. Joe books concerned, because these are the toys we did have the most exposure to, or at least the first exposure to. And yeah, we're going to get into how cool they are and all that in a few seconds, I'm sure, after we hear about new stuff, new stuff, new stuff. Yay! That was like a used car commercial. Yeah. Um, Just need one of those inflatable, like, dudes flapping in the wind. like Those dancey dudes. <laughs> yeah. That'll be a convention exclusive. Let's see. Uh, Joe Bergali Strident and I have recorded uh, kind of like a comic conversation, but more to the point, I don't know. We don't have a name for this, but it's going to be on YouTube. Um, we're just going to be chatting up good Joe stories in print most likely from any medium could be from as old as the which way books to uh, as current as IDW, just finding good character stories that highlight maybe an obscure Joe character that, that maybe you want to flesh out a little bit in your own mind. So uh, uh, I'll let you know when that drops aside from that. I think that's it. I'll remember something, but that's all I got. Steven. Well, I want to talk about uh, something that arrived a little while ago. But because it came with a whole bunch of other stuff, uh, I haven't really done any kind of expose on these toys in a podcast episode. So I'm going to kind of do it piecemeal. And tonight I'm going to throw focus on a recent acquisition. First time I've ever had any experience with this toy whatsoever. It's the Whirlwind Twin Battle Gun from 1983. Yes, I've got it. It's... It's beautiful, it's green, it's smooth, it's shiny, it's an incredible nick, and it's a twin Gatling gun, right? G.I. Joe had a few notable Gatling guns in it. You could find one of them in the nose of the Rattler, and what a sexy, sexy piece of sculpting that was. Giving it the ability to turn as well, beautiful. Well, the Whirlwind, in many respects, is a precursor to that. I mean, it came out in the, in the year preceding it and the guns are even more detailed and have more fanfare to them something that is really really cool to note with the whirlwind are the removable panels which in most cases you'd be able to see mechanical detail but with the whirlwind you see three rows of bullets so these are clearly the ammo drums uh, that that are towards the rear of the gun on both sides both sides are removable, which is very cool. They're also interchangeable. It's the same sculpted piece, but repeated on both sides. So uh, immediately it, it cuts down on, on, on uh, the difficulty of sourcing a left or a right if you're looking for replacement parts. You've got a few very cool, tasty decals. Uh, my favorite, of course, being the screen, which indicates a targeted aircraft. Which kind of speaks to what the whirlwind does. I mean, you use a rapid-fire chain gun cannon to shoot down really fast-moving targets. 
I mean, this thing would be able to throw up a veritable wall of ammunition to try and bring down incoming aircraft or even perhaps uh, slow-moving missiles, just like you would have on carrier vessels or destroyers or cruisers out, out at sea which deployed these kind of chain guns. And it kind of makes me wish that the flag had chain guns um, situated where its cannons are, because chain mm. guns are just way cooler. I think we can all agree. You know, whether it's version oh, totally. 2 rock and roll, or, as I said, the nose cone of the Rattler, or <laughs> the obscenely oversized mean dog chain gun cannon, or ro- rotary cannon, these are all very, very exciting toys to play with and make a kid just go bonkers imitating the firing noises with a good old (laughs) i mean anyone who's (laughs) youtube um a10 thunderbolt 2 firing uh if you know what i mean like it's the the warthog letting rip with its 30 millimeter cannon you guys know exactly how thrilling it is to see that thing deal some damage very Let me ask like a real quick yes or no question. I don't want to get into it, but I am curious. Did the chain gun in Star Wars work for you in a new or a Rogue One, or were you just kind of like, eh? Uh, to me, it was like a whatever. It was like a non-entity, really. Okay. I mean, yeah. All right. Like, Sorry, I didn't. I didn't mean to. No, take no, no. It's cool. <laughs> Um, I, I, I wouldn't be, be giving a fair assessment of this toy if I didn't describe at least one shortcoming, because it is a lovely piece. It's, it's pretty robust. Uh, there's nothing that is too easily breakable on it. The connection points of the, the gun portion to the trailer portion has three rather brittle little teeth. Those can break. But, uh, for the most part, it's great. It's got a cool, like, armored facade. Which I think is something that, that a lot of the Tobal weapons kind of missed out on having. Like, if you look at uh, World War II Tobal cannons, they all had some operator protection. They had a kind of a, a metal plate uh, on either side of the gun to, to, uh, to protect the loader and whoever's kind of aiming the damn thing. Well, the Whirlwind has that, which is great. But if you elevate the guns all the way up, they're going to crush the operator's legs. <laughs> so that's a rather amusing little design faux pas. But for the most part, this gun is awesome. Put your version 1 rock and roll in it, and he won't have chain gun cannon envy. <laughs> 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 yeah, man. Love this toy. Thanks again, Dan of Quality Joes. Yeah, you sexy beast. Uh, Steve, anything else, man? Sounded like you had more. Oh, I've got tons, bro, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unveil it real slowly, because... Uh, save it, that's uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I've become that kind of collector who uh, really really it. needs to, to spotlight things one at a time and not not just do a massive shotgun approach, you know, talk about ten different things in one new shit section. So, Paul, yeah, you, no, anything I, you'd like to talk about? Hear... You're Mr. Ten uh, Things yeah. in One Go. Let's go. I'm ready. I'm ready. I also find that I'm starting to be the, you know, let it out slowly kind of guy these days. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, right? It's, uh, you know, it's an elevator fart. You can't uh, let it rip. Otherwise, you're going to make a whole bunch of people unhappy. Uh, uh, I recently won a... Uh, is it... I can never remember the year, but it's basically the sound attack Major Blood. Supersonic Fighters 
You mean... Yes, the Supersonic Fighters. Sound Attack yes, is something you. else, my brother. Far less sexy. I mean, it, I haven't got them in hand yet, uh, but it comes from a, a fairly well-known seller in South Africa. Um, Steve, uh, you've had dealings with him. Ach, please, Daddy. Oh, yes. Did you see that he also has some eco-warriors figures that look pretty mint? Yes, he actually had... He's sending me a whole bunch of pictures of the stuff he has to see if there's anything I want, you know, that he can add to my box. But I am very happy to report that I have got my favorite Major Blood. At least I will have him on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, I used to have dreams of finding this guy in like a pick and pay. So I've, I finally got him. It's, it's really cool. And it's weird because it's a figure I could have easily bought when I was a kid and I never did. For, oh, wait, I know why. David had him. I didn't want to have the same toy as Dave unless it was Snake Eyes. Anyway, so I've got him coming my way. Really, really excited about that. I've got a care package uh, on its way to Steve because certain people who printed stuff to me finally got their shit together so I can send everything through. So Steve will have something cool to talk about, hopefully by the next episode. Yay! That's me for new stuff for now. You know, I'm keeping it simple and keeping it real. Cooge, what did you score, man? Anything good that you got that's new? Uh, If you enjoy being underwater, run down my other podcast. I've been talking about underwater stuff for a while. So, yeah. That's all I got. Okay. Without much further ado, seeing as this is episode 88, and we're going to talk about an 88 figure for our definitive sculpt, like, you know, because G.I. Joe Berg loves doing this, and uh, it's important, so we feel you have to hear what we have to say. Uh, We have decided on and. Last time I checked, it was the Iron Grenadiers, right? That's correct. Mm -hmm. We are doing definitive Iron Grenadiers. Cool. Okay, so uh, I'm going to start with Cujo, just because Cujo derailed us in the last episode. And I feel that he needs to... I'm just taking him off the tracks right now. I want to get his opinion out there so that Steve and I can sail uh, safely in these dark waters. You got it. Um, I, I never, I think in previous, in a previous episode, me and Paul talked about, uh, the paint applications on the, uh, the Iron Grenadier kind of being a shortcoming. He does always kind of, when we're talking about 88, there's kind of almost like a complete departure in the, in the line as far as the previous year and stuff. And it kind of makes sense. Uh, I can't take credit for this. I know that we were talking about the Battle Force 2000 a couple episodes ago, but uh, that that YouTube reviewer uh, BFX257. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, Form BX265, whatever. Form BX257. Yeah. Sorry, Kevin. Well, no, he uh, he was actually kind of onto uh, the fact that. The Iron Grenadiers are, are supposed to be adversaries to the Battle Force 2000 in the future. I think the toy line had that in mind, but maybe Hasbro did not connect the comic books to that. And it kind of makes sense because that means you can't play with those toys together. So so it didn't really make sense at that point. Uh, you know, you couldn't play with the rest of your Joes if they were in the future and stuff. So I think that they kind of aborted that storyline. But they do feel futuristic. I don't like imbalance in my characters a whole lot. I don't, uh, so I I can't uh, go with V1, even though, I mean, usually I'm vintage, but the the gold wrist on the left hand feels a little weird to me. I know it works Mm -hmm. with the the gold holster on his leg. 
Um, I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. For as much fanfare as V1 will get, I imagine it will. Um, peop- uh, I know Merck up in uh, Norway. What's up, brother? He's down with V1, as is, I, I believe, uh, uh, Hooded Cobra Commander. Um, and uh, it's, it's, a good, it's a good figure. I mean, it's on the nose. Red and black. I mean, there's not too many ways to spin that. But I have to go to V10 just because... First of all, you know, one of the issues I had with V1 was the, the paint apps were not uh, different enough. The helmet and the visor bleed together. So that's actually taken care of in V10. Much more Nazi attire. Uh, I like his weapons. They, they fit well with that, that overcoat. You know, and some of the other overcoats I won't go into because they're not nearly as uh, powerful. But, uh, yeah, I'll go V10. And, and I, I guess I'll also add the context that or many people aren't too privy to that figure because it was dropped in New Orleans at the convention. And uh, I, I can definitely knock uh, Collector's Club, but they were on point on that one. So, by the way, Collector's Club, what are you guys thinking for your last convention? Or what I assume your last convention will be next year? Um, let's get the fans involved. Let's, let's make that decision together because I know a lot of friends have met at those conventions. Let's get everybody there. Let's have Joe Berg be part of that conversation. Uh, anyway, for me, V10... And I guess uh, just wrapping up the Iron Grenadier, uh, since most people favor the original, I don't know what you guys are about to say, but uh, Forgotten Figures did kind of uh, make me think about something for a second in his review of the figure, which you should read at your leisure. He mentioned the pistol, the red sidearm, and and it's kind of cheeseball look. I kind of like it. Uh, If this is a futurist figure, that's kind of a cool laser uh, pistol. I don't know about red, so I did a little bit of detective work on the pistol. And I thought I might give you a history of that pistol in the G.I. Joe line. A green version of it went to the Heat Viper version 2 in 93. A yellow version of it went to Dr. Mindbender V2 in 93. Let's see. A silver version went to Destro V4 in 93. A pink version went to Targat V2. A pink version, by the way. And to wrap it up, we'll just say... A purple version went to the Cobra character with possibly the best hair. Any guesses? Actually, he's on Destro's team. Oh, uh, Middlehead. Bingo. Purple version. Really? And that's the history of the red firearm. Right. Well, the, the Targat also is on Destro's team. And Destro himself gets it in his uh, Star Brigade armor tech figure yeah i was gonna say so, that you've yeah. you've uncovered an interesting uh synergy there that it, it definitely is sort of a, a mars signature gun i kind of want one of those guns right now actually oh that's a very cool gun you know i never liked it huh? i never liked it i never really liked the design of this gun uh it looks kind of like a, a spaceship I mean the the, the curved curved front end, mm-hmm. and what is that flat top? What what is? I mean, it's not a sight. It's just clunky, man. It would be very prohibitive if you're trying to holster it. I would like a silver version of that with a new sci-fi character. Actually, give him two. <laughs> yeah, but then you've got Django Fett, and uh, that guy sucks. Now you've done and ruined the broadcast, brother. <laughs> I um I'm gonna apologize to listeners um for maybe for my lack of Google Foo ability, but I did actually try to uh, look for some information on this laser gun on on his actual gun. And what did you uncover? 
Uh, so for those of you listeners, uh, maybe your Google Foo is better than mine is, but I went and Googled up this uh, laser pistol, and I, I refer to it as a laser pistol, um, and I couldn't find uh, its actual source material, like what this gun is based on. Um, and I'm not saying everything in G.I. Joe is based on something, but I wanted to see where its design, its conceptual roots were, and I couldn't find anything. So I'm going to put it up to you, our listeners, if you maybe recognize this design or there are some recognizable features of something that was from perhaps your childhood, you're older than we are or whatever, please let us know in the Facebook group or on Twitter. Love to hear it. Um, I happen to be a big fan of this gun, though. Uh, and, I mean, Steve has mentioned that he's not. <laughs> but Yeah, perhaps in defense of my opinion on that gun, well, let me just grab it for a second and give you an honest appraisal. One second. But Cujo, if you want to say something on the topic, go ahead, brother. Oh, no, I didn't have anything. I've spoken my piece. Okay, so I have the original 1988 Iron Grenadier gun in my hand uh, because, let's face it, the latter releases of this gun in various other colors, like, they tend to lose some of the mold sharpness, and also the plastic is is, uh, more gummy when it comes off those trees. If you know mm. what I mean, the the, the yes, screws yeah. that GI Joe accessories used to come on uh, in the sort of the la- latter phases of the toy line. Anyway, so looking at the original, it's got some old details on it. It's really really thin for the most part, except it's got that wedge front and the flat top, and both of those seem completely superfluous and like sci-fi tropes. It's like let's get a Flash Gordon ray gun look to this thing. So it could have been really elegant and really slender, like Django Fett's guns, but then they put these mm-hmm. boxy additional details on to, I guess, give it a signature look. But the effect for me is just like, it's it's I I can't explain it, and it, even my child mind couldn't explain it, and 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 that really kind of winds up being the downfall of a toy. But taken together with the version one's accessories. That is why V1, for me, is unassailable as the signature look. You need to have that ceremonial sword, but also a battle uniform that is practical. And, for lack of a better word, the the sort of Darth Vader slash um, Nazi stormtrooper with a ridge on the helmet slash uh, Flash Gordon baddie uh, appearance of the original one kind of meshes high tech with with extremely ornamented, which is exactly the kind of line that Destro's troops ought to cut. And he looks just so damn good flanking version two Destro with some ferret drivers. He hits all the right notes when taken together with the rest of his team. And I exclude the nullifiers from that because. As I think we'll get into in this episode, the nullifier is the odd man out and has something to do with Cobra Law. So uh, that's one vote for V1 and one vote for V10. I guess it's up to Paul to either throw something new in the mix or to find favor with one of our picks. Goody. I'm so glad I get to leave the last word on this one for, for now. Okay, so... Uh, listeners know that I'm a big fan of the Iron Grenadiers. I mean, come now. I really do love the modern 
incarnations of the Iron Grenadiers, and I do have to agree with Cujo. Version 10 is sexy, okay? Uh, it's it's actually got all the correct trimmings. Everything that I felt was missing from the 25th anniversary or the Target exclusive, everything that I felt was missing from that uh, original 25th anniversary release has sort of been made up for in version 10 in terms of the modern figure. And I really love the modern era's uh, face sculpt, uh, as I have mentioned before in previous episodes. But I think that the face sculpt definitely adds a, a new dimension. It, it sort of shows a lot more of what's going on. But then, to its detriment, it shows too much of what's going on, if that makes sense. It almost makes too much sense. And I don't love the modern era's reuse of the Battle Armor Cobra Commander or Cobra Commander version 3, the 25th anniversary uh, anniversary version of Cobra Commander version 3. I don't love the reuse of that body, even though it's a really cool body sculpt. Um, and it, they actually made it work. When I realized it was Cobra Commander's uh, body, it, it lost points for me. So my love is going to stick with the vintage figure. And I know that you guys saw this coming, but it has all of the trimmings I want. Uh, it's It's got the, the, battle, the battle dress, the actual uniform isn't just straightforward black leather you know it's got a you know it's it, it's got a flap it sort of implies that there's some kind of uh body armor underneath it's got wiggle room you know they they've de- de- designed some soft parts on the sides where the obliques are so he looks like he can move it um steve said it well when he said it's a very functional battle uniform i'm gonna disagree with kujo on the gold on his arm i find that the gold wrist unit for me, isn't too weird. It definitely serves to be some kind of portable computer or portable, um, you know, sort of device, communications device or something. Uh, maybe it's a security device or a tracking, you know, harness or something so that all the IGs can be accounted. They like the crimson guardsmen of the De- of Destro's army, so to speak. Um, and their role is not just, you know, running around and killing stuff. It's also negotiation and all of that stuff. And I use the term negotiation lightly, of course. Um, the face mask is where it's at. I love it. I love the the dark uh, presence of this figurine. I, I love it. it. Actually, it's one of those figures that just kills the card art because the card art for this is actually quite crappy, in my opinion. But the toy is gorgeous. And when I drew that artwork for this episode, I was I just fell in love with it again, if you can believe that, because, you know, I should have loved it you know, before then, but I, I mean, obviously did. And, you know, I'm going to be fair. I have one critique for this toy. One thing that I don't love about it, I don't love the gold pouch on his left leg. I think it is a bit naff, especially if you think about this guy in a real world situation. It's difficult to believe that he would have a gold pouch. I would, I would sooner believe it being red or black, but gold is just off. I think that was just a toy design thing so that the figure wasn't just monoto- uh, monochromatic and just, you know, black and gold and red. I think they try to disperse the gold around the whole thing. You know, have some gold on the legs, have some gold on the arm, have some gold on the torso. Um, and, of course, that damn Uzi, <laughs> if you can even call that. It's like a, it's like an Uzi's, I don't know, um, big brother, maybe? I don't know. Uh, it's got some features to it that I really like. It's got a lot of features I really don't. It was great that uh, Hasbro put it in for the 25th anniversary as kind of a nod to fans, but... uh, It's a bit of a thumb-breaker on a vintage toy. It is. It's a nasty-ass big 
gun that just, yeah, like you said, it's a bit of a thumb breaker. It's something that you're very scared of. The rear stock is so thick, and so is the handle. So it's like your your thumbs are really going to be sandwiched between the rock and the hard place by trying to accommodate the, you know, the the, the wide, uh, quite broad handle pistol grip and that very broad stock. So I, I would only attempt putting it in, into the hands of a really stretchy-handed uh, iron grenadier. Yeah, luckily my one is because it was bought from a, a thrift store. Mm-hmm. Steve got me this one. And yeah, he he looked like his thumb has been through the good wars. So uh, luckily, lucky for without me, breaking. Uh, the Uzi. <laughs> yes, miraculously, miraculously, the red pistol. I mean, we've spoken about it uh, in detail already. Uh, that's something I'll say about the 25th anniversary release. I can't say it's better. I can just say it's as cool. It's somewhat slimmed down. Yes, which is, which and is thankfully nice. so. You know, it's it's quite yeah, unique it, in the year of the 25th anniversary where everything was getting bigger to actually make a pistol daintier uh, than the original, mm. which is, uh, yeah, I, I applaud the, the sculptors on that. An interesting oddity that I that I discovered uh, was was version 5, which I had no awareness of before because it came in a sort of a, a convention box in sort of a foam tray with a whole bunch of, like, Destro style figures and and troops, but it's done up with the Night Viper's body, Night Viper's body with details picked out in red and gold, and uh, grey, together with the original IG helmet, which looks to me like a a more heavily armored, like tactical Iron Grenadier, whereas the guys that have swords hanging off their belts, those are more pomp and ceremony kind of IGs, this guy, who has the added bulk of a Night Viper's sculpt and the sort of rifle grenade launcher attached to his thigh, as the Night Viper does, uh, he is a more of a sort of a tactical assault version of the Iron Grenadier, which maybe was a concept that they really ran with when they created in the, uh, I think it was the Pursuit of Cobra line, those really heavy-duty guys with the the smart guns, mm, alien mm. style. You know the ones I'm talking about. I mean, they've got armored legs and really, really beefy uh, sculpt portions. You know, their, their bodies are extremely beefed up. They are heavy, heavy-duty IGs, which is definitely a valid um, direction to take. It gets very much into the kind of gears of war kind of uh, look and feel. I don't like that. I know you're a fan of it, Cooge. It certainly has its place. But in terms of definitively sculpted IGs, it's going to be IG-88. <laughs> nice. Hell yeah. And uh, just a closing remark. The Iron Grenadiers have thankfully been a figure that has always had a bit of a win. Uh, I think... Uh, I. I haven't really looked at New Sculpt Era. I don't know if they have a, a an IG at all. But every other Iron Grenadier I've seen, Comic Pack or otherwise, to me has had more win than it has, you know, had losses or more pros than cons. The armored one definitely suffers from falling off armor pieces, which can be very annoying when one is trying to pose them for photos or play with them. That but would you be get version over it. 8, 2011. Mm. 
they look so badass with that armored Destro. It's I have to. I, I mean, I had to buy two, and I did, and they on my shelf, and they're next to Destro, and they look badass. But they don't. They're not the original IG. The original IG is a work of art as far as Paul's concerned. Mm. So. I'll, I'll have a closing comment about uh, this guy. I think uh, it's worth noting that version 11, also with the big code on or, or whatever you want to call that thing, except it's swept by the wind, which is a nice bit of sculpting, a nod to uh, whoever did that. And then, of course, uh, Iron Grenadier V9, I guess in 2012, the Mar- Marilyn Monroe IG. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you have to see it to believe it. My goodness. The tunic is parting to the point where, yeah, you really get, get some upskirts on V9. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know those uh, reuse of the uh, Resolute uh, Destro. I think it is. Or, no, no, Resolute Cobra Commander has that uh, part. I think that's where that part comes from. I may stand corrected, but hey, whatever. It's a curious look, all right. He seems to have leggings, almost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, th- what I'd like to say, to your point about um, the asymmetry on the Iron Grenadiers, Kujo, I know you don't like the gold. It is quite bold. I'm not going to lie. That, that gold uh, gauntlet, or what do they call it? Grieve. It's a single grieve. Very high-tech. I mean, you could explain it away in a number of ways uh, as, as some sort of high-tech device, as Paul has done. But what is cool about asymmetry is that it speaks to a character's importance. Whereas Annihilators, Targats, these guys are symmetrical. The left mirrors the right. Iron Grenadiers have got some degree of status by virtue of their very, very immaculate look. These are not practical troops. These are almost ceremonial, let's show our our strength of arms kind of troops. Not only do we have badass elite commandos, but they are immaculately dressed and equipped. Just like the introduction of Iron Grenadiers in the comic book itself, their look and their equipment and their entire aesthetic is designed around, we're going to kick your ass, but we're going to do it with class. <laughs> um, we have um, thrown around the term, you know, Nazi and, and sort of Darth Vader a lot on the IG. But upon drawing him, like when I was actually sitting and, and, and once again drawing this character, there are one or two small British influences in his uniform um, in the form of his pants. Like they're kind of like pantaloons, which uh, is sort of reminds me of the sort of British colonial fashion. And then it got me looking at this toy going, wow, that helmet, as much as it's kind of Nazi-esque, it's also kind of colonial British in a weird way. Just throwing that out there. So, yes, it was very proper. (laughs) Very turn of the century, the last century, Boer War, kind of a very high-ridged helmet. I I, I can conjure up that look, actually. I think it was in the sort of changeover when the Brits stopped wearing red to the battlefield. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't work out. Now they started wearing cocky. Yeah, man, exactly. Fighting, fighting our guys. As sexy as V10 is, even though he didn't win, he he probably has the best motto of the different file cards. It says, "We are purveyors of destruction." That that oh. 
that sums it up. They can drop big words and big bombs. So that is very classy. I approve of this purveyors of destruction mm-hmm. line. You could say that we're purveyors of the GI Joe destru- destruction right now. <laughs> <laughs> what better way to start a discussion about 1988 as a year? Because guys, let me just say that as as you are well aware, the two of you, but uh, I'm gonna open this out to the wider audience, that the narrative that started emerging when I started considering 1988's toy line was not a happy one at all. It didn't paint a very rosy picture of the world that would have emerged if the G.I. Joe and Cobra conflict was to reach its sort of upper limit. I mean, we've got an enormous shot in the arm in terms of G.I. Joe's military might by delivering us both a stealth bomber and a mobile intercontinental ballistic missile launcher vehicle in the same year. And that's ICBM for short, ladies. G.I. Joe <laughs> went into overdrive with its its killing power, uh, leaving Cobra almost driven underground, eking out uh, survival in in areas that that are inhospitable for human beings. Hence the need for uh, the Leaky Suit Brigade or, or, or Toxo Vipers, Cobra troops that are specifically outfitted to inhabit and operate and do combat in hostile environments, irradiated environments, environments that normal troops cannot possibly stand a chance of surviving in. Throw into that mix the fact that they've started developing mutants, essentially, the Hydra Vipers file card is a fascinating read because it goes on to say that these guys just aren't human anymore. And that's something that really stuck with me as a child. Only emphasized, of course, by the fact that their left hand is webbed. I didn't take that to mean that their uniform has some kind of webbing. I took that to mean that, in fact, they had grafted skin between their fingertips. And I think the file card even goes on to say that, if I'm not mistaken. In many respects, the red that forms the front end of their respirator, to which the helmet then fits over. I didn't think that was a costume element at all either. I thought that was actually their mouth. So these guys became somewhat of a, as I say, a mutant creature, a product of Cobra experimentation. And another example of where a post-Cobra law, Cobra organization would have been. They've lost their leadership in Globulus, who presumably perished in Cobra law. Serpentor was sent off packing, never to be heard of again, and he certainly doesn't have any representation in the 1988 toy line. And Cobra Commander, he's a snake. What does that leave, ladies and gentlemen? That leaves a Cobra organization in disarray and the way wide open for Destro and his new faction. You know, bringing up the Hydro Viper, I have a lot of the same similar feelings. I remember seeing that as some of the more aggressive card art I ever saw. And so, thus, the character never really lived up to the hype. And as you get older, he looks like he has a blow-up doll mouth. So that doesn't really help anything. (laughs) Aside from that, you got hit and run with maybe the best eyes ever in the line. You got Road Pig, who doesn't really hit early. If you're a kid, like, I didn't like my dudes with their shirts off, but 
he does have one of the more interesting weapons in the line. And if you didn't like have your backup shoot that guy as he's overpowered you and he's in a backswing with that hammer, um, you didn't play GI Joe. So I mean that was a great melee weapon. You guys were commenting on uh, the IG's uh, Uzi type gun. I think the best gun in this line uh, found its way to Shockwave with that uh, Mac 10 with the uh, with the uh, shoulder strap on it or whatever. Oh, it was a stock. Uh, aside a, from a wire stock. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Mm. Thank you, brother. Um, sure, bro. And I think you may have the best parted hair in the line uh, with uh, Blizzard. I mean, that guy's wearing a helmet. He takes his helmet off. He's probably got the best combed hair in the line. So, and he's got those spike boots that you, those are kind of un those are kind of underrated as far as accessories because you know you can do some damage with those things. But I'll end it on this uh, talking about Destro's force. Uh, I, I, I Merck mentioned this in passing, and I think it hits a note with what I was thinking that they don't mix well with cobras. And it, maybe that's by nature. You know, their color scheme is almost demonic, you know, uh, suggested by their uh, tank. And obviously, Jim's probably out there. Hey, Jim, I hope you got a paintbrush in your hand. And of course, you know, Scoop is in deep cover. So uh, this is going out to you, buddy, uh, when you resurface. But, uh, dude, the Demon Tanks call sign, anybody want to guess? 88917. Any math majors out there? So the demon tank is is the thirty three tank. So I dun, think GI yeah I think GI Joe is pretty straightforward at this point. Evil is evil. Good is kind of scattered. You know you got characters of of vibrant colors as well as characters that blend in. And I guess ending on Destro's conversation would be uh, one of the the cooler uh, animal companions. Destro's got him. That's the buzzard. There's very few characters or animals that really kind of suit their uh, handler as well as that. Oh, you mean Voltar's um, Vulture? Indeed. That's a great card art, too. I know everybody can see that right now. Yeah, Voltar's Um, cool, actually. Paul, what are you feeling when you think about Destro's line? Before that, I've got to respond to you saying that my beloved Hydro Viper has a blow-up doll mouth. Firstly, you're seeing it through a very adult lens. I'd like to think that as a teenager, you didn't know, well, as a young teen or whenever, however old you were in 88, uh, you didn't know anything about blow-up dolls. <laughs> but then True. again, growing up on the West Coast, I wouldn't put it past you. To my mind, and this is perhaps uh, very telling about how I used to play with this toy. I mean, he wasn't just a Hydro Viper. He was a, a character. He was a mutant uh, infiltrator. Very much in the same ilk as, like, Pythona was played up in the film. Like, this guy was a frogman. I mean, he could operate underwater, for sure. But he also had a kind of a squirrel suit, so he could glide. He was a ninja. He was a cobra ninja. And that mouthpiece, which I played up to be his mutated mouth, had a kind of a vampire sucker... Stop sniggering. uh, (laughs) uh, Attack to it. Like he could latch on latch on your neck and leech your your life essence away. So Hydro Viper was a resident badass like Cobra Law type baddie. I think X Files has your back. If anybody remembers that episode where oh, Mulder's fluke. Yeah, the thing in the sewers that had oh, a very uh Hydro Viper like mouth. So I can see that. 
Good call. Season season one, wasn't it? Mm. Hey, they've been on a lot of adventures, brother. Oh yeah. Damn. And okay, on the topic of nostalgia, shit, you got me going now. But I'm pretty convinced that my IG, uh, my original, um, disappeared because someone thought that it was Snake Eyes and they appropriated it. Son of a bitch. Idiot <laughs> child. <laughs> but yeah, black clad figure with some some interesting accents. I can see where they they went with that. But damn, man. So my memories of that figure are really fleeting. All that I have left of him is that self-same Uzi, oversized as it might be. Mm. I would just like to say that I think the inclusion of the Iron Grenadiers is a great idea for the G.I. Joe line. I think it was one of the coolest things that Hasbro had done. I, it gave us a whole different way to look at the enemy uh, in much the same way that Masters of the Universe gave us Hordak with uh, Shira. Uh, I remember a lot of kids growing up, uh, kids with Hordak's horde and a lot of the figures and playsets from that Hordak, specifically from Hordak's, you know, world. And uh, it's because they were really cool, you know, and it was different from Skeletor's minions, much in the same way, like how the Iron Grenadiers are still bad guys, but are so different from Cobra. They're not supposed to merge with Cobra. And I loved that. I loved having this this distinction in the bad guys, it gave G.I. Joe more people to shoot at, <laughs> which which is cool for me. But coming into what I feel uh, about the Iron Grenadiers, yeah, I, I like to see it as, okay, so Destro's served on the Cobra, you know, he's tried to, for better or worse, make Cobra work with Cobra Commander, but Cobra Commander being who he is, hasn't allowed the Cobra organization to grow the way it should. Yeah, no shit, because he's a snake. Yeah, well, there you go, right? I mean, so, I mean, we're looking at it like, okay, so Cobra's a bunch of cultists. And then here's, like, Destro, who, you know, his whole family's basically made, they, they're warmongers. I mean, they've been making money off both sides fighting a war. So here we could have Destro with a, a moral dilemma. Again, this is where I think Iron Grenadiers comes from. Here's a man who has served both sides of the conflict. He has served the good guys. He has served the bad guys. And now he's starting to find his own moral compass. He's decided, well, you know what? Fuck both of these guys, because the good guys aren't actually that great anyway. The bad guys are, you know, they're a bunch of incompetent clowns that wear, like, you know, bird suits and command boars and so forth and so on. I'm going to start up my own thing. I want Destro's New World Order. I think I should run the world. And I think that's what the Iron Grenadiers is. It's, it's Destro actually saying, okay, cool, here's the Finger Cobra. Here's the finger G.I. Joe. Well, not so much G.I. Joe, but here's the finger governments of the world. I am going to rule you. I am your leader. And it, I think that comes across quite a bit if you look in the file cards of the Iron Grenadiers. Not only are these men uh, and women designed to be effective on the battlefield, but they are also cunning negotiators. They can be very good businessmen. They can get stuff going. That's not necessarily with bullets, you know, very much the same as how certain governments, and I don't want to go into too much of that, but how certain governments use political means to annex countries or to move into countries and then sort of try to, I don't know, rehabilitate these countries so that they can protect themselves. Okay, yes, I'm looking at you, Afghanistan. Okay, but, you know, there's so much of that crap happening, Destro just feels, well, he can do it better. 
and that's what they're there for. And now G.I. Joe's kind of like, well, hmm. <laughs> Destro is kind of bad, but he's also not doing anything outwardly bad. He's not a terrorist. He's not being a terrorist. He's being a politician. It makes him a very difficult enemy for G.I. Joe to fight. So who, who, who here regards Destro's faction as an equal troop strength to G.I. Joe and Cobra? Because I've got to be honest with you, man. I've always believed it to be more of a personal army, private army, for the protection of Destro's installations, more than an army that can go man-to-man with the forces of G.I. Joe or Cobra, if you know what I mean. You know, it's it, it, it's got a weird armored division in the demon tanks. They're kind of like jack-of-all-trades, masters of none. Good for perhaps urban combat or defending installations against aircraft. You've got anti-gravity pods, which are super advanced, but I still wouldn't take them into a dogfight against, say, I don't know, a Conquest or a Hurricane. Um, and uh, what else? A okay, kite on a windy day. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, no, there's sort of freaky high-tech stuff, but I, I never regarded Destro as like a third faction, if you know what I mean. It makes sense if you do the right storyline. I do agree with Paul that he can work as kind of like a third party. I, I really would love to read some G.I. Joe stories. Like, let's let's give the Battle Force 2000 an alternate reality. Let's put him in the year 2000. With Destro's demons, nobody knows what happened before or after, and let's just start there. You know, nobody loves the the BF2K, but you know what? Good storytelling can can make characters interesting. So, I mean, like, I would love to see him give it a shot. You know, take it back to the year 2000. Of course, it would be kitsch, but why not? Why not? It's not like they're telling better stories than that right now. Therein lies the charm. It is so kitsch. And... For the benefit of the listeners, in case they, they weren't aware, <laughs> it seems that historically what you're saying is true, that uh, the, the Iron Grenadier team were devised as a counter to G.I. Joe's Battle Force 2000. And they were marketed <laughs> as such, quite possibly because IG toys were cool, and <laughs> it was felt by many that uh, they would give... The uh, Battle Force 2000 toys, which were flagging in terms of sales, uh, a shot in the arm and helped move some units. I wonder if it had that effect. I wonder if people were like all of a sudden associating these cool toys with these NAF toys and like buying them more fervently. I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't speculate. <clears throat> Cobra goes to space at long last. Yes. Uh... The Astro Viper, the Star Viper, and... The Stella Stiletto. Mm-hmm. Anyone got any insights on that? It seems to fit with my uh, new world order in a post-Cobra law world that Cobra must now venture into the dark recesses of space to try and establish safe havens and bases where they'd be uh, hopefully able to escape from G.I. Joe's rolling thunder attacks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would G.I. Joe be using the rolling thunder as an actual weapon or as a deterrent? Um you know, and Cobra moving to space would mean that they can negate the strength of that deterrent. So them being in space, running um, their Nazi space base on the moon. <laughs> All but, I've got to you know, say is, man, 
Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Yeah. G.I. Joe, Joe probably leveled Cobra Island. They probably leveled whatever mm. other base Cobra had. We never got ma- that story, dude. No, we didn't, man. That's why I'm saying, like, G.I. Joe 1988 could have been a huge turning point. I mean, if we were able to get a darker move in G.I. Joe, I mean, it, it was after G.I. Joe the movie, but it was before Operation Dragonfire. So we got 1989's toys worked into the Deke series, but in terms of 88 representation, hell, I think they have a Skystorm X-Wing chopper in one of the episodes of Operation Dragonfire, but that's it. These guys got left out, man. And tonight, we are trying to find their place in a, I suppose, a fictional, made-up G.I. Joe world. I, I'm trying to spin this narrative. I really am. A kind of a darker G.I. Joe cartoon continuation. But anyways, you guys can riff this with me, or you can go on your own tangents. Feel free. But uh, <laughs> Nazi criminals operating on the moon, or, or Cobra criminals operating on the moon, that's that's cool. I like that. Run with it, Paul. No, thanks, man. But uh, it's I can't take credit for it because it is it was for a long time uh, one of the leading conspiracy theories uh, at one stage, and uh, enough it's garnered enough uh, attention that it's in the new Wolfenstein game. Which, you know, when you mentioned Stella Stiletto, Cobra goes to space, my brain just married it with that. So I was like, hell yeah. Also, GI Joe okay, has Paul, a there stealth isn't spider. an original idea under the sun, my brother. You can that is true. Throw it all together. Just make make your own. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> but oh, but on. here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. G.I. Joe has been experimenting with the Sky Raven, right? But they have the X-19 as well. And the X-19, in my mind, has always uh, been a little bit more than a stealth fighter. I've always felt it to be able to work in a sort of... Uh, I can't believe I've forgotten the name. Oh, stratospheric. I, I believe it to be able to work in sort of stratospheric uh, altitudes, like sort of there, there on the rim between Earth and space. And it's got some pretty interesting payload. Ionospheric. Ionospheric. Thank you, Stephen. That's the word I was looking for. I think so. Uh, but uh, do do take note that the, the year 1988 predates the Sky Raven, my brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, the Sky Raven is still being used for tests, but I mean, you know, just like the the Blackbird, I mean, we only heard about the Blackbird something like 20 or 30 years after it was actually made and used actively in service. So, I mean, the X-19 could have been developed for anti-space, you know, like maybe the Defiant uh, missions sort of required that they needed something with a, a bigger punch to come and, you know, help it if, if something went wrong in space because they, they're fearing Cobra operations up there. So they make the X-19. The X-19's got a payload that can be delivered into space. Um, those I know that they're meant to be these low ground thingies, but a missile with wings, with aileron, well, yeah, not ailerons, with wings, I mean, that can be remotely guided. Hello? Um, is that not a... And it's oddly shaped. It's not super aerodynamic. I mean, how is that not a, a missile that could be used in space against Cobra? I really like that idea. Like, Stephen's idea of this, like, sort of apocalyptic 88 future thing has got me loving, re-loving some of the toys I already love in different ways. And let's not lose sight of the largest weapon of mass destruction ever, Sergeant Slaughter, 
with removal. <laughs> <laughs> you can take the hat off that sucker. I mean, I think I used it in a sort of odd job style uh, kill move. You know, once the slaughter gets you alone and he takes that hat off. <laughs> you know, like Goldfinger. Yeah, yeah shit's yeah. going to go down. Like odd take job. Head off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, random task. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, another thing that I kind of like with this world uh, is I actually, as much as I'm a Tiger Force fan, uh, I am the guy who forgets which years these things are released in. But Tiger Force is 1988 as well. And yeah, okay, fine. It's a repaint. But hey, think about it this way. G.I. Joe, it's a new world order. We don't know what's happening with the American government. Maybe G.I. Joe's had to go rogue. I mean, not only do we have Tiger Force, we also have Night Force. Okay, so we have two groups of G.I. Joes that are designed for covert operations. One of them could be very much about wet work, you know, uh, about going in there and actually, you know, assassinating and all that. And, you know, Tiger Force's whole idea is that they reappropriate enemy vehicles and it's very they're very much a procure on site team. At least that's my understanding of it. So they're autonomous. Tiger Force is an autonomous G.I. Joe unit that's hunting Cobra. You know, and, and Cobra's actually scared shit <laughs> because, you know, they uh, wherever they are, they've, they've surrounded themselves with battle barges and they've got the Cobra bug, which is, yeah, it's a land vehicle, but it's also submersible. They need to hide themselves, you know, as, as Stephen mentioned. They've had to go underground. But, but the I bug think... allows them to enter into hostile environments because it is sort of um, pressure sealed against pollutants and uh, radiation I mean, it, it, yeah, the bug is a post-apocalyptic vehicle. I mean, just look at this thing. And it's green and neon yellow. It's just a, a fabulously, like, tricked out, but, like, disgusting vehicle. Oh, I love it. I love it. Love the bug. And if you want to know what's happening to society at this point, look no further than Road Pig. I mean, that guy is a huge commentary on, on like, the collapse of society. I mean, to date, I'd say he's the most Mad Max-esque of the Dreadnoughts. With his anarchy tattoo, his extremely, like, over-roided physique. Like, he just looks like a basket case. Whereas the other Dreadnoughts look like dudes you'd see hanging around at biker bars. This dude looks like he's roaming the desert in, uh, you know, in, in cobbled-together vehicles. Just basically murdering people and taking their stuff. That's Road Pig for you. Ugly goes clean to the bone, brother. Um, I think... <laughs> Why, do, you uh, think do you think he's a G.I. Joe sleeper agent? Could that be no, Road sir. Pig's No, sir. Line? I was just uh, quoting, I think, part of his file card. I Honestly, if you're talking narrative, a great place to jump off in 88 would have been the Rolling Thunder. And I, I don't like the Rolling Thunder because... It takes your imagination away. A weapon that big essentially would destroy your whole playroom. So I think that that would be like the best place to jump off. Like, let's do a broken intel information or situation where a Joe general has to make a decision in a matter of minutes whether to launch a missile or not. And it ends up kicking off a storyline that has to do with fallout, that has to do with real world problems, that kind of thing. And then you have the anarchy and whatnot. Yeah, okay, well, which comes back to Night Force as well, because Night Force, to me, seems very urban. I don't know if you guys get that feel. Like, a lot of their 
okay, aside from the, the, the whale. But I mean, it's just, they seem like they're designed more for urban deployment. And also some of the characters released in that year, you know, I mean, uh, who's a who's a good example? Okay, Lightfoot, for example. Okay, Lightfoot's got some very heavily... After. Is Lightfoot 89? Isn't he 88? I'm sure he is, because I was uh, looking in my Bellamo guide. Nightforce release Lightfoot came in 89. No, 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 he's 89, but I mean, Lightfoot is an 88 figure, right? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Sorry, I didn't mean to confuse you guys, the listeners, um, but... Yeah, Lightfoot's also in that year. He's got some very sophisticated bomb detection technology. I mean, you know, like, it's kind of like overkill, but if you think about it, maybe in this destroyed dystopian urban environment, he needs that because that's what the enemy is using. They're using sort of guerrilla tactics and subversive subversive means to defend themselves and to cause anarchy by putting landmines and stuff, and, and, and G.I. Joe needs a new specialist because Tripwire has died. You know, I used to play Lightfoot's um, sort of included robot as a sort of an R2-D2 style companion, but it would sort of move into a prone position, and that antenna wasn't an antenna at all. This is like a sniper robot. Badass. So while Lightfoot is clearing a minefield, he's got his sniper robot set up somewhere, keeping a field of fire open in case anyone came a-calling. That's pretty dope. I wish I was as imaginative now as I was as a child. I mean, I, when I look at this thing, I do not see a sniper weapon. I wish I still yeah. did. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, man. It brought back the lenticulars, which make me a very happy man. Lightfoot had two, two lenticulars. That's a selling point for an otherwise pretty um, peg-warming kind of figure. Wouldn't you agree, Jens? Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I had Lightfoot. And I, I, can, I can honestly tell you I bought him because... Of that lenticular stuff on, on the little robot and everything. I was like, I don't know, know what this guy does, but he's got a helmet and he's got lenticulars, so that's two boxes t- checked. I'm buying him. Well, I'm going to get mm. mom to buy him for me. You know? <laughs> I think I, I think I got him too, but mainly because I was into uh, Mask Crusaders. <laughs> yeah, he mask. is very Mask. Yeah, well, anyone with a removable helmet that looks sophisticated. <laughs> like, I'm not talking about like a, a green soldier helmet. I'm talking about one that had like a visor. And in his case, a little sort of pair of mouthpieces like microphones yeah because he uses that to give voice commands to his sniper robot <laughs> <laughs> fire and i mean we got we got guys like repeater running around and uh steve i don't know if i'm imagining this but we've got sports heroes that have had to turn you know to fight the good fight you know <laughs> you're talking about hardball of course of course yeah they create a slew <laughs> of new joes we had a break from the past, very few named characters returning. There was a Storm Shadow, there was a Destro, there was Sergeant Slaughter. Apart from that, instead of trying to throw individual character, in, individual Cobra characters at us, we got some troop builders. And like off-the-wall, cool, weird troop builders, previously unfilled uh, uh, portions of the roster, but like interesting ones, you know? And and necessary ones like their their necessity is is made obvious by this this new interesting world order that we're establishing, uh, and that's cool too. But does anyone want to speak to the kind of the the weird and wonderful wacky GI Joes that we got treated to the single carded assortments, flamethrowers and grenade launchers and uh, steady cam gunners and samurais, dudes? Yeah. What's your explanation? Yeah. What what do you think of this guy? 
Well, Budo is uh, somebody who obviously feels... I, I, I don't know. I see Budo as being some kind of martial arts instructor or something. You know, and he's he's trying to empower people by teaching them how to defend themselves. Uh, maybe just before everything went down. And then in the wake of this New World Order, you know, he's trying to do the same. But feels that his skills could have been used or could be utilized in a much better way. So either he seeks out G.I. Joe or G.I. Joe uh, sort of acquires him through necessity. They're like, hey, here's a guy who's trained. Uh, we can use him to train our new recruits. We can use him to teach them hand-to-hand combat and, you know, sort of think in a combative manner, you know, to, to when to act and, and the sort of philosophy of acting and, and not acting in a battle. And the art of Lido. The yeah, live blade. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> What's that all about, Mr. Kung Fu? If anybody's interested, you know, guys today are still learning uh, Kenjutsu and other Japanese sort of sword fighting techniques as well as fencing. And although they, it's really cool that you learn how to use a sword correctly, the heart of those martial arts is to teach you when to act and when not to act. And who better to teach you to do that than a samurai? <laughs> Okay, or at least somebody who's descended from a long lineage of samurai and has passed on years of knowledge. You know, that's that's the guy you want to have teach your your people. You know, or train your people. At least that's how I see. That's how I. That's what how I make up Budo. That's that's Budo's redemption. Plus, he's a damn cool toy, man. He's got some amazing detail. Anyway, Kujo, what do you have to say about the Budo situation? He's situational. I mean, I remember purchasing him, so I think the, the card art grabbed me. I mean, ultimately, he doesn't have a whole lot of use, but his helmet is nice. I mean, he can always lower his head and uh, put, put an expl- exclamation point on a, a kill, I suppose. Um, he's from NoCal. I can't knock him too much. <laughs> yeah, and he apparently likes Holly Davidson's. <laughs> That's not bad, too. Yeah, I'm not going to go into any storyline, so so. Continue. I know we're just bouncing off characters right now. I know Steven showed a a surprising amount of restraint uh, when it comes to Shockwave. He hasn't spoken about him yet. I know he has love for him. What could I possibly share on this podcast episode that I haven't shared uh, ad nauseum in previous episodes? This this is my favorite figure. Uh, It's equal parts cool sculpt and equal parts what I invested in him in terms of playtime. I do not see him exclusively as a door-kicking SWAT guy. This guy transcended all of that to be my snake eyes who could speak. <laughs> and that was always important to me, because if you know anything about me, I like to have my say, okay? So it's important <laughs> we to do have know a that. character who can speak. And sadly, for all his cool and all his mystique, the fact that Snake Eyes was perennially mute on every mission... And could not express himself, even in sort of grunted, like, tough guy lingo, which, of course, all my heroes uh, would speak in. Just a kind of a, yeah, okay, let's go, kind of vibe. Um, yeah, Shockwave rocketed to, to, being, to being my most popular figure. Uh, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I had an older brother who, when he was going through my shoebox of G.I. Joes, and I only had a handful at that stage, but he picked out Shockwave and said, this guy, this is the man. The combination of the balaclava, (laughs) the floppy sort of sniper cap, the body armor, the fact that he's packing two pistols, 
a little holdout knife on the inside of his thigh. Uh, the yeah, card art reps him well. Shows off all his weapons and stuff absolutely. like that. He's got magazine pouches on his hip. That's cool. I mean, how many Joes actually had sculpted magazines? Mm. Not enough, I'd say. Yeah, not enough. Definitely not enough. And you say he had a cool gun, but damn, Cruj, I lost that gun, man. I lost it early. I still haven't found a replacement, to be honest. I've got a Night Force shockwave, which barely sees the light of day, because those things are are very very valuable, actually, in, 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 in good nick, which it is. So I, I don't play with that one. I, I play a lot with my, my childhood one, which has got uh, ninja knees. If you can... <laughs> <laughs> uh, all his limbs are, are perfectly loose it's wonderful uh, a great way of avoiding elbow cracks actually I mean if your your elbow joints are really loose they're not going to crack very easily they're going to be you know juicy already they're not going to put any kind of stress on that joint uh, so he's great he's yellowed but that doesn't bother me none he's still my favorite figure ever I kind of thought it was interesting that Paul turn the, the tiger force into basically the wolverines i thought that was kind of interesting angle um nice. if, if joe is working from the fringes that would be an interesting take explain the, the reference wol- the wolverines um what's that one movie where the ussr lands in uh, america what is that oh red it's dawn. a red dawn red dawn yeah my brain is a repository for the most random shit yeah, but no. they don't have any. They don't have any Brat Pack members on uh, Tiger Force. At least I hope not. Unless Lifeline. So and, unless Lifeline is uh, <laughs> signing up. You can't see Kevin Bacon in one of those tiger stripes. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, and and let's not forget that one of the coolest toys ever made in the GI Joe line comes out of '88 as well. '88 Storm Shadow Man. The Tetris Ninja. That's a legit toy. I mean, that was when I was a kid, before I knew anything about G.I. Joe. I mean, in my nursery school and in grade one and two, that was a toy to have. And talk about Wolverine. Uh, I mean, what a unique accessory to have that climbing claw. Of course, no one used it as a climbing claw back then. It was a de facto like Wolverine uh, claw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was pretty cool. For, for me... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, laugh, uh, like quite amusingly, my reference for that claw was actually Vega from Street Fighter. I actually didn't know Wolverine existed until at least Standard One. So I was always like, "Hey, cool, he's got a claw like Vega." Yeah, I know, right? Fair Crazy. enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I think it, since we're kind of dusting through all these characters. I, I can't turn my back on Nullifier. I know you were going to mention him in the same breath as Cobra Law, and that makes sense. But he's he's a damn interesting character to look at. Absolutely. It's the kind of the almost Egyptian um, hieroglyphic indications on his armor. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a weird look. And, of course, what did you call it? A half-moon seat in a previous episode? I mean, the way his, his sort of... Um, helmet is shaped. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I was being pretty classy in that moment. I think that was 69. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is it, well, I, I, I almost think his helmet works better without the visor. I think we've mentioned that about some of the other characters. I just like that King Tut chin he's got. He's got to rock that thing out in the open. 
the nullifier had kind of like the athletic jock strap that's kind of loose. It's kind of interesting. Well, you know, don't don't pilots have um, sort of straps hanging off their their flight suits? Anyway, what I was going to say was I hope it's not old news to everyone listening to this, but nullifiers were originally going to come with a sort of a Cobra Law style motorcycle. And everything in Cobra Law is made of organic parts. So, I mean, it was almost a, a bit of a contradiction in terms to have a motorcycle. Maybe it was made out of crab meat. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, fortunately, they pulled the plug on that. But they still had this figure, I guess, uh, that had already gone into production. So it went to the AGP, which is cool. Uh, I, I always thought like the AGP could very easily not have an assigned pilot and just be the mode of transport for the Iron Grenadiers. So the, the nullifier is anomalous. Uh, it doesn't belong. He doesn't look like one of Destro's guys. He isn't rocking the black, red, and gold. But now we know why. So if you want to ignore that figure, you can. Just pop an IG-88 an IG in the cockpit of your anti-gravity pod. Or you can embrace the Cobra Law-esque King Tut figure in tan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have one. I don't have a, a flight pod either. Kuj, did you ever have one of the AGPs? I did. This was another one of the figures that I picked up at the time. I don't remember being in love with him for too long, but looking at him with adult eyes, there's a lot to admire about him. I mean, his his eyes look battle-weary. He has a big head. It bugs me. <laughs> but I do it, like the mask. Mm. It's unique, for sure. I, I would I'd, like to see that, at least I would love to see the design concept of that Cobra Law motorcycle that he was behind the wheel of. Uh, wheel of. Oh, that sort of Maroon. Tron-esque thing. Oh, you're right. We did see that. Mm, I think I shared an image. I'll be yeah. sure to put it on our Facebook page uh, in conjunction with this episode. Might be a nice opportunity to do that. So, guys, battle barges. <laughs> that's an unfortunate uh, uh, assignment to have I think we spoke about it previously saying like you just dot those around your like floating installations as basically target practice for G.I. Joe you meet that out yeah, to, very your, much so. to, your, to your Cobra agents as punishment to man those things I mean they have got a pretty impressive radar array presumably active radar you'd be able to spot something clear to the horizon with one of those yeah, and I think it's it's almost more important for Cobra to have something like that now because they're sort of on the run uh, or in hiding. So they need to have a much tighter disciplinary structure. So relegating guys to being Toxa Vipers or manning a battle barge for for essentially for fuck-ups is actually a... I, I think it's actually it's a good thing. It kind of makes me like the battle barge just a little bit, at least at the time of this, this conversation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I fully anticipate you'll come to your senses pretty shortly after we, we hang up the call. But another thing that sh suggests that Cobra is in retreat is they have adopted the use of landmine technology in the form of the Cobra Imp. Here we have a tank that is specifically designed to spread uh, anti-personnel or anti-tank landmines all over the place. It's basically like a way of covering your tracks and and making land inhospitable, completely in, uh, impossible. It's a very effective way of spreading potential death 
everywhere. Traps, essentially. Which is nasty. Landmines are a nasty, nasty, nasty legacy of conflict. And Cobra, yeah, it's a very dirty thing. Cobra mm. is doing it with um, with a practiced efficiency in the form of the imp. And to answer that, G.I. Joe's got Lightfoot and a motorized action pack was released this yep. year called the Minesweeper. Or what was it? The yep. Mine, Mine Detector. Any thoughts you guys want to share on either the Imp or the Minesweeper or any of the motorized action packs or or vehicle packs released that year? That's something that doesn't get a lot of mention or love. Okay, this 88 uh, motorized packs for me are the cool ones, uh, at least. But uh, the thing that I dig... Well, okay, to explain the Mine Detector... Uh, so you've got a specialist like Lightfoot, like I mentioned earlier, who's got to do what he has to do. But you can't train. Ev- I mean, you can train every soldier to detect mines and whatever, but not everybody's good at it. You need some kind of device that's going to make that job easier. Because like Steve mentioned, like I've mentioned, mines are this big problem in this world. So you can't have 50 Lightfoots. You know what I mean? You can only have one Lightfoot. So he's the brains behind the technology that's going into these mind detectors to help keep the very small number of Joes that are alive alive so that they can continue their mission so that they can do what they need to do and and that's how I can justify the minesweeper in this world it's also incidentally how I justify the rope walker because if you can't detect all the mines and and successfully defuse them at least you can fire a rope line from one point to the next and traverse it by not making contact with the ground at all yeah, exactly. <laughs> I and can't believe it. I'm actually finding justification for the bloody rope walker. Wow. And the same can be said for the sort of motorized submersible uh, backpack, which has always been a favorite of mine. Uh, but also for the same reasons that make the mine uh, detection equipment good is that you can essentially take uh, untrained or should I say very short trained GI Joes, guys that have gone through the training cycle but don't have a lot of underwater experience, but they need to get underwater to get to Cobra's new established base or whatever it is. Something like that submersible backpack definitely assists with that. You know, a lot of people think diving is just putting on a rebreather and equipment and then just diving. You know, there's, it, it doesn't just work like that. There's a lot of stuff that has to be considered. And now you're busy diving on a military, in a sort of military state of mind. You're going down there to go and do stuff. You're already uh, nervous. You, you're worried about air pressure. You're worried about all kinds of crazy shit down there. But hey, you've got this backpack. You, you, or, you know, you plugged into it. It's taking you down. It's going down remotely. It's regulating everything for you. You don't have to worry about that. You can just focus on looking out for the bad guys. And, and in my mind, I don't see just one guy on it. I see like maybe two guys running on it umbilically, you know, sort of. So it's like three man teams per one of these submersible backpacks. That's that's what makes sense to me, at least. I'm surprised that uh, carded sample that's on Bit or Buy hasn't been bought by you by now, Paul. My goodness. Uh, it's, it's a little Steve in my head that keeps telling me, do you really want it, Paul? <laughs> but I think Well, after talking you've... it up like that, gee whiz, I'm surprised you could do without it. Who knew, no, ladies I'm and gentlemen, G.I. Oh. Jobo <laughs> finds love for the motorized action pack scuba pack. Wake me up when it's over, guys. Good God. Okay. <laughs> we better stop talking about that garbage and talk about drone warfare. Wow. The RPV comes from this year, guys, and you know I love me some RPV. 
Oh, man. <laughs> no, I'll spare you the pain. Ladies and gentlemen of the audience, if you want to know my full uh, love for the RPV, you need look no further than episode 87's uh, repaints battle, where I argued that the European RPV is not only an improvement over the American release, but in fact one of the finest redecoed vehicles ever produced in G.I. Joe. Yeah, that happened. It was a damn interesting session for sure. <laughs> Anything you'd like to address, Cooge, before I think we should do a top three toys from this year rundown. <laughs> Ooh, I can't wait to get to that. Let's do that first. Okay, let's do that right now. All right. I'm going to crack open by saying that the Skystorm X-Wing Chopper is a firm favorite of mine. Love this toy. Love this toy. Yeah, it's got to be the X-Wing, baby. And and before we carry on, does it uh, when you say toys, I mean, are we talking vehicles and figures combined? Oh, my God. Can you Can you do that? Can you do that without actually imploding? I don't think I can, Steve. I've got to be honest. I, I don't think I can because well, 88... Then, then, then I'm going to allow you to cheat because I'm going to say that um, Shockwave pulls the rather awkwardly colored, uh, but very charming anyway, windmill out of the cockpit and he jumps in himself. So, I mean, that is a pretty pretty uh, unbeatable combination of vehicle and pilot. My... Mary Sue character, Shockwave, at the helm of the Skystorm X-Wing Chopper, which, ladies and gentlemen, I actually did. Uh, yeah, plenty, plenty of that in my playtime as a youngster. <laughs> so, uh, that's one of my top three. Uh, the Warthog, definitely, uh, is in there as well. Can't beat that tank. It is fantastic. It had everything going for it that I, that I loved most as a child. It was green. It was chunky it was robust it had internal space that all linked up i really like the fact that the guy in the sort of the the communications seat could speak to the troops in the troop area it could hold six troops which is the perfect small team and it came with the sarge what a terrific vehicle driver i didn't know who sergeant slaughter was back then but this guy just had a lot of character he was one hell of a badass and always the character leading the charge with the heavy machine gun. It's my favorite version of Sergeant Slaughter, uh, and not for no good reason. He's the most practical looking, he's got the removable hats, and he came with the best vehicle. My goodness. Triple T, what is that? Get out of here. And uh, the third and final uh, favorite from 88... <laughs> Once again, a cheat from yours truly. I'm going to say the Bug. Love that vehicle. One of my earlies. Uh, the, the Warthog and the Bug almost sort of smart bombed me within the same year. Uh, and they were just like mortal enemies locked in combat. Uh, both of them had force fields for days. So they're just kind of like sat at opposite ends of the room, pelting each other with fire until uh, eventually like... Some sneaky ninja action uh, on the side of the Joes managed to best the Cobra team. But uh, at the helm of that is not Sector Viper, but my mutated and genetically superior Hydro Viper. I thank you. I think <laughs> I used to call him Quintus. That was his name. All right. Yeah. Hello, my name is Quintus. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm a Hydro Viper. Ah, uh, sorry, man. What, could you expect any less from me? 
Come on. Actually, dude, I think it's quite imaginative. I'm I'm just I'm just being a dick. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and shut up. What are you guys? Uh, okay, so uh, to sort of maintain my sanity here, I'm just going to take Tiger Force off the table because each and every Tiger Force vehicle is essentially a repaint. And I would like to focus on the real true gold of 1988, the Cobra Bug. Oh, my God. I had nagged my parents so much for this toy. And, uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's on my shelf now. It's one of those things I just can't live without. It's a Cobra Bug. Everything Steve said um, and everything that I've said before about the bug applies. It is one of the best vehicles ever made in the line. It's, and it's a damn cool toy. And it's submersible and it, uh, it's just it's it's amazing. It's a Cobra bug. If you haven't got one, I don't know what's wrong with you. Even if you're not a G.I. Joe fan, you should get a Cobra bug. Uh, another one, also uh, a double whammy. Oh, wait, I'm going to cheat. Ha. <laughs> you're learning, are you? I am. On my Cobra Bug is a is an Astro Viper that's just come along for the ride, and an Iron Grenadier that's stowed in there. You know, as the Cobra Bug is running its mission, I don't know what the Iron Grenadier is doing there, but I know that the Astro Viper is probably being taken to a secret Cobra space installation. Guys, the Astro Viper is a figure that I only ever had real experience with when it came out in the sort of uh, Star Brigade uh, line. Uh, so I had the tur- Turquoise Astro Viper. And as a figure without his backpack, he's not necessarily that great. But when I got him quite recently, a few years ago, with that lot, I have grown to really love the Astro Viper. It's such a great toy. And that red and black color scheme is far more fitting for him than the Turquoise, even though the Turquoise is not too bad. Because it's still kind of spacey. Iron Grenadier has got... I'm not even going to go into uh, it. I don't need to. Next thing is the Warthog AIFV. Also, same reason Steven said I also got them in the same year. The Warthog and the Bug. The Warthog just blew my mind when I put it in the bath and it floated. And then I could put 10 G.I. Joes into the thing. I mean, you know. And it's very real world. It's, It's got a quality to it that I really, really love. And loaded in that bad boy is Storm Shadow <laughs> and Repeater and Hit and Run. Yeah, I'm super cheating. <laughs> but those are three toys that cannot be overlooked in this year. That is by far one of the best Storm Shadows ever. Repeater is a great toy, great uh, accessory. I've only recently, recently gotten uh, my hands on a Repeater. It was a toy I wanted. And when I pulled it out of that big box of stuff from Greg, I was super happy. And Hit and Run. I'm getting hit and run as one of the kings of cool in the in the G.I. Joe verse. At least in toy form he is. And um, lastly, and this may come as quite expected, but the Phantom X-19. It's the coolest jet. Uh, it was a toy that I wanted. I've seen it in catalogs and gone, oh my word, that's the coolest Darth Vader ever. And I love its neon coloring. So if anybody wants to go, oh, but it's got neon missiles. I'm like, I love them. I love them, neon, neon missiles. Loaded with none other than Ghost Rider himself. I remember Steve brought this into the store quite early on in our friendship. And it was quite a magical experience for me to see that vehicle in the flesh in real life. And uh, I went as far as to get a a mint in box uh, version, a European mint in box version, which I got for quite a good price. And uh, I (laughs) went and did an unboxing of it and... 
it hasn't been published yet. I'm actually looking for the photos and the footage. But yeah, the Phantom X-19, it's, it's, it's up there. It's sexy. And that's Paul's three picks. Also, don't forget to grab yourself an RPV to protect your defiance in these desperate times. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, think about it. Now, G.I. Joe needs something to seriously protect the uh, defiance. So the RPV makes sense. Which just leaves you, Cujo. Mm-hmm. What are your high points mm-hmm. of 88, man? I'm not as much of a vehicle guy, but I'll get in on that fun. The Warthog is cool, although I am confused by its eyes. It has probably the best grin of any vehicle, and that's including Tiger Force. But uh, uh, it does have two sets of eyes. I like the headlights as the eyes. I, I don't know about anybody else. Um, uh, i got to agree. <laughs> uh, it just makes it look somehow. like a little monster. I even uh, went as far as to paint the eyes. <laughs> They're silver on mine. Kind of makes it look kind of nocturnal. It's freaky. Nice. I, I Just for fun, and I'm going to make myself a hypocrite right now, but I like the, the Swamp Smasher. Is that what it's called? Because it's gone now. <laughs> is, that, is that what it's called, guys? Swamp Masher. Yeah. I, I, even yeah. though it's purple and green, and I'm against that, but the, the wheels are just fun, and... It has that rotating gun, which can hit different areas of the battlefield. And bullets aren't as tangible as missiles, so like, it just it just implies more action, I think. Once again, it's a rotary cannon. Very. It sexy. is, it is. Thank you for uh, saving that point. Too bad the barrels don't turn, but... Yeah, man. You, know, you just look at this thing and you know that it just spits death. Mm. And when you got people riding on the, uh, the, the foot pegs in the back or whatever, that's fun. I think I mentioned all the characters, save for one, which you know I love Steel Brigade. I know you're out there, Jim. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's uh, the Steel Brigade. It kind of it kind of grew. It, my love grew for them after I played Gears of War. They have a grunt who has like blue glowing eyes, which is kind of I think they stole that from uh, the Steel Brigade. I so, fully agree. Yeah, I, I I like that guy. I think I'll just leave it at that. The Swamp Masher is an unlikely pick for me. Um, I like your vehicles, too. Those characters are fun. They're varied. I mean, I, I think that's the strength of 88. Nobody likes the Skystorm X-Wing Chopper except me. Yeah, yeah, you can have that. <laughs> I don't um, like it as much as you, but I like it. <laughs> I, I do like the characters being kind of a blank sheet. And I'm glad you brought that up as kind of like characters that just you can do anything with. I, I, I know I'd love to. Uh, I think everybody played with these characters differently. There was no backdrop for them. Something just worth mentioning, you know, you mentioned Steel Brigaders, right? I mean, Steel Brigaders are people that need to be recruited, that have enlisted in G.I. Joe's sort of, you know, fight. You know, they they, you know, they, they could have just been civilians. I mean, is G.I. Joe still a covert organization now that it has covert subgroups within it, or subteams within it? Does Night Force and Tiger Force sort of signal that G.I. Joe has gone public and that Night Force and Tiger Force have to stay covert? Hmm. That's a kind of involved question, brother. I mean, I think there may be enough fodder for a Steel Brigade conversation along the way, uh, just because of the uniqueness or whatever. But, now nah, we'll see. Absolutely. But on your points of everyone being able to play with this line's toys differently, Kuj, uh, I already said that Lightfoot was a mask agent. But I used to use Charbroil as the Flash. <laughs> there was a Flash TV series, I'm sure you recall, around about uh, 
Well, it, it was on TV around about that time in South Africa. The trickster. That's the one with Mark Hamill. Uh, Mark yeah. Hamill was... Yeah, man. Playing the trickster. Anyways, so I was inspired by that. All of a sudden, I wanted a toy that could just run around in a blur. So I used to squint my eyes, and I took my Charbroil action figure, and he was the Flash, moving at super speed. Because he was the sort of the closest I had to the uniform. I mean, it's kind of sad, I know, but I didn't have a red action figure. I didn't have a, a Crimson Guardsman or someone who, who matched the look closer. So my eyes fell upon <laughs> Charbroil in much the same way that when I wanted to recreate what I'd seen with Rambo, I had to use <laughs> I had to use Skymate. <laughs> oh, poor deprived children. I don't know. I don't think uh, Skymate is the height of deprivation. I think he's quite a cool toy, actually. I mean, I also owned him. I loved that visor. He came with a with a bow, a compound yeah. bow, and that's what sold it. He had to be Rambo. <laughs> Never mind the fact that he's not shirtless and he's got a moustache and a pink cap with a kangaroo on it and a visor. My goodness. I was a mess, guys. I was a mess. Oh, but we were all a mess. Does anyone have any closing remarks on the year of 1988 and what it meant toy-wise? In preparation for this episode, I came to the realization that I own quite a lot of 1988 vehicles and figures. Like... A lot of my G.I. Joe vintage collection um, is 88. I mean, I'm only really missing a Hydro Viper, Charbroil, Lightfoot, and Storm Shadow version 2. Otherwise, I've got the whole carded assortment. And that, for me, is pretty amazing, actually. And then, I mean, that's uh, excluding the Iron Grenadiers and Tiger Force, etc. But, because, uh, you know, they, they're technically vehicles, but it's a year that I have the most figures from, and I don't know. I don't know what says I love 1988, like having most of my toy roster come out of that year. Well, you know, as they say, when this thing hits 88, you're going to see some serious shit. Oh, um, yeah. I think 88 got too real for G.I. Joe. I didn't like the huge missile silos on the uh, Rolling Thunder. There's too many things that made me think, which now I like, but back then I didn't. The Toxo Viper was the first clue to like warfare not being clean, you know, mm. and, and that and that continued with like uh, the mind sniffers and all that. It was just I, th- I think it was a year that, that maybe the brand itself got a little wavy on Hasbro, and you know that's continued. The waters are pretty choppy now, but yeah, too real for me. What say you, Stephen? Well, you had a guy called Skidmark. And a guy called Win- called Windmill. And they're both dressed like the late 80s would suggest. But this was year one of G.I. Joe for me. It was these toys that galvanized me into believing that these were the finest toys ever produced. And first impressions are pretty hard to shake. So 88, it's almost like untouchable for me. It's just like retro cool and the fact that these are the figures and vehicles that have the least exposure and the least kind of storylines at least from the um you know the sort of commercial uh, media producers of gi joe stuff make them a blank canvas so all my plot lines have validity whether it's me and quentus 
as a, an eight-year-old doing sort of daring do and and sneaking around and dealing death to to GI Joe agents with my uh, vampire sucker mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Or me reasoning now that uh, 88 signaled a kind of a almost post-Cobra Law world. It, it's, it just opens up the doors to possibilities that, like, I don't know. I, I don't think the other years are quite as suggestive of. Or maybe I'm just seeing more in this than there actually is to see. But I love this year, man. I love the fact that my brushings with it came in the form of a catalog where you immortalized every line and every visible detail of a vehicle, and then you kind of extrapolated what the rest of that vehicle looked like. You kind of filled in what the back end looked like, and you filled in that the Desert Fox, I can only see the front of it from like a worm's eye view, low angle, but it looks like there's a troop section in the back. I wonder how many troops it can hold. And then lo and behold, you get the toy and you're like, cool, there's a seat back there. Oh my God. Uh, so, I mean, it was, yeah, it's so much of this stuff is the mystery and like not knowing until the internet age and the age of eBay where all of a sudden these mysteries are revealed. So a lot of this stuff, the mythology stayed with me for a long time. And this year was nothing short of magic to this Joe fan. I hope this finds the ears of other people who feel the same way. I stumbled onto a very cool image, which I hope I can rediscover and launch it in conjunction with this episode but i found a catalog from the netherlands with this incredible photo shoot on the one side it had the tiger force team uh in a very cool uh situation like they were crossing a river in tiger paws uh there was like a watchtower set up a whole bunch of like dio elements professionally done and done beautifully but showcasing the the range of figures and all the vehicles then on the other side, this beautiful scene where Voltar was basically on show with these legions of new Cobra troops. Okay, that was a little bit weird that Voltar, Destro's guy, is is mm. kind of showing off the new new divisions of Cobra troops. But it had basically army-built Astro Vipers, all in formation, standing together in sort of neat, ordered rows. Toxo Vipers also in neat ordered rows, and Hydra Vipers. And it was kind of introducing, these are the new Cobra troops. And that image, once again, set in this beautiful, like, Cobra Castle diorama, that gave me this idea that maybe this is all Cobra is at this stage. They've got their extremely intelligent, high-tech troopers that they send into space. They've got their... Leaky Soup Brigade, basically washouts and 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 uh, undesirables, bad guys who they entrust with manning their terrestrial bases that have now been bombed the shit out of, and they're they're the Toxo Vipers. And then you've got these freaky mutant guys which man all the aquatic uh, installations where where Cobras had to retreat ultimately, uh, either under the waves or into outer space. And it just oh, it set my mind alight. I hope I find that image. It's really, really cool. It really stays with you. And that's 88 for me, boys. Yeah. I'm just, I've just uh, done a small count on the vehicles now. I need eight vehicles from the sort of normal release, and I need all of the Iron Grenadiers vehicles um, to, to have a complete 88 set. And I think I'm going to do it. I've already um, been in talks with somebody about a, a Rolling Thunder, so... 
So we'll see. Because <laughs> you need some intercontinental ballistic missiles in your life. I, I, I don't I know. Do. I, maybe, maybe I'm misnaming them by calling them ICBMs. They have cluster bombs on the inside. They're sort of, sort of a, a, a miracle weapon that kind of disperses destruction of conventional uh, warheads. But it could it, also be Merv. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't take much imagination to to think that these could also be nukes. Uh, yeah. So perhaps a Rolling Thunder is designed to have either payloads. Yeah. Like, exactly. And um, you know, and then you've got things like the Adder, which is like Cobra's feeble attempt at a retaliation. Which once again is <laughs> like still... a suicide mobile. But anyways. Yeah. And hence Road Pig at the helm. <laughs> Mad. I just uh yeah 1988 is, is unforgettable it's it's wacky it's great it's uh it's a go-to year and you know it's funny how this line will surprise you and I'm not just talking about 88 I'm just talking about GI Joe in general uh you know when you Cheers. when you're putting up but yeah when you're putting up your toys on your uh display cabinet or whatever and or you're taking them out to play with you, you're not necessarily. I'm not necessarily thinking about which years and whatever they come from, and then along comes an idea about doing an '88 podcast, and you're looking through Bellamo's guide, and you're on 3D Joe's, and you go, "Hey, wait, I've got most of these," and that's a that that's a great feeling. It's like as a kid, you know, you're always like, "Oh, I really wish I could find this toy on the shelves, and really wish I could get this vehicle," and we spend so much of our lives looking in catalogs, going, "Oh, I'd love to have that," and you know, and then you realize, well, these are all married into one year, one specific year, 88 or 87 or 86. You know, um, some of my favorite toys come from just those years. And it's it's magical. And I love this idea. I love this mythos that we've created for this to, uh, in this episode. I thought uh, you had a, a, a plot line that you wanted to weave of your own, Paul. I did. Um, but or has it kind of fallen into the fold? It fell into the fold, but... But it's because it should have started off in the very beginning. Uh, I wanted to sort of play on the fact that, you know, Duke's dead now and, you know, Joe's in complete disarray and everything's in disarray. And I was like, oh, fuck it. You know what? It's like, we Dude, don't that need works. two separate. That works. Yeah. Duke being dead. What's the fallout of that? You have a more vengeful G.I. Joe team. A bunch yeah. of new hotheads who want to wipe Cobra off the face of the world. Yeah. I buy that. Exactly. Mm. Any closing remarks, Kucha? Well, there's two animal companions from this year, isn't there? There's a Three. buzzard and a uh, bobcat. Who's the and third? A manta ray. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hydro Viper's got um, some uh, some kind of kind of kinship with animals. Oh yeah, yeah, I guess he does. Oh, that's that's respectable. They're very graceful aquatic uh, creatures. I think animals are repped pretty well. And uh, a thought occurred to me uh, sometime this week. Uh, if, if we're in your ears right now and you got an animal companion, uh, send a picture to Joburg or, or uh, Facebook or uh, Twitter, preferably Twitter. But, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to see uh, people that uh, are part of Joburg or listening in, uh, what kind of animals they got in their lives. That'd be cool. Test that would be very companions. cool. Yeah. I'm going to post my animal companion as well. My two oh, animal yeah. companions. <laughs> preferably with an appropriate Joe riding on top of them. <laughs> oh, definitely. Well, my one loyal animal companion decided that he did not like the Cobra Basilisk's ski missile and decided to chow it. I think I may have mentioned this before, but I'm looking at the chowed missile and I'm like, thank you, Gamble. 
At least if there's any missile that had to go, I suppose it was this one, but whatever. <laughs> Thanks, Gamble! <laughs> that dog. Alright, that's, that's a wrap on episode 88. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't be uh, strangers. Don't hesitate to get hold of us if you want to drop us a comment. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. G.I. Joeberg is what you want to search for. This is Steven, a.k.a. Skidmark. <laughs> saying good night and uh, yeah, check your tidy whities man. You stank. <laughs> this is Rolling Thunder Paul saying uh, hasta la vista. Damn, put me on the spot. I can't be Demon Tank. I can't do that. Uh, this is Cujo on the West Coast. It's a, it's a lazy Sunday. I hope everybody's enjoying their uh, their lives right now. Cheers.